0: So we've been working through our vision and values series, which we've called This Is Us. And above everything that we've talked about, our overarching vision is that we will love God and love people. And then under that sits the values that help us to fulfill that calling. Pursuing the heart of God, helping people find their God-given purpose, bringing hope the community, restoring the brokenhearted. How good was Ruth last week just sharing that message of science mixed with faith and it's just it's so incredible and such an amazing word from God and this morning we're going to take a look at the final value, creating a culture of generosity and so our overarching verse for this final value is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 11 and it says this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so the encouragement that comes from this, uh, this biblical principle to be generous is that we'll be enriched. Another translation says, God will make us rich enough so that you can always be generous. So God will pour into you so that you can pour out to others. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And as Ruth and I were praying about the vision and the values of this church, what, four years ago, whenever it was, um, you know, we kind of landed on this as our final core value because generosity is something that we are passionate about as a couple, as a family. It's something that we uh, try to live out through our lives in in every aspect um, of the way that we live, whether it's sewing into church or whether it's supporting causes that are close to our hearts, whether it's opening up our home or giving of our time and our energy. We try to live generous lives and so we thought and we felt that God wanted to let that permeate through the culture of this church, that we should have a culture of generosity. And, you know, we've got a passion for generosity because we recognize that, that being generous is not an obligation. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. We talk about the fact that we don't have to do church, we get to do church. We don't have to give of our finances, but we get to give of our finances. We don't have to serve in church in whatever capacity, we get to serve in church. And we recognize that God has given to us so richly that it's then our honor and our privilege to give back to him to give back to him. And so this morning, we're going to kind of pull out some points um, from the life um, of one of my favourite biblical characters um, who will hopefully inspire within us this culture of generosity, both in our lives and in our church. And that is the, the life of the man that is David. David, the shepherd. David, the giant slayer. David, the poet, the musician, the king the man who was known as a man after God's own heart. And so as we read, we're going to read in a minute from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And and David has been given this passion and this burden to, to build a temple for the Lord. He's had this passion placed in his heart to build Uh, a place where he and the people of Israel can gather to worship God. And as we pick up this story, David is lifting up a prayer of praise to his God. It says this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. He is praying and he is believing for a culture of generosity with his people. He says, keep these desires in the hearts of your people forever. He is seeing generosity happening and he is praying and believing for it to continue in the lives of God's people. And so what I want to do is just jump right back. Um, to where we very first meet David in the Bible and then just take us back up to where we are now and so when we first meet David it's in 1 Samuel chapter 16 um, and Samuel comes to town with a word from God that he is to anoint the next king of Israel and God has told him that is one of the sons of a man called Jesse And so Samuel arrives uh, in town and he finds this man called Jesse and he explains the situation to him. And he says, "Okay, bring out your sons. Let's meet them. And so Jesse, the father, brings out his sons one by one and he starts with the eldest, as is the culture of the time. And so he brings out son number one. And you can almost imagine it. Here is son number one. And he lays out all of the characteristics that may suit him for being a king. And, uh, and Samuel looks at this guy and he's like, nope. I don't know which way you swipe to say no. <laughs> is it left? <laughs> left. Someone knows. <laughs> number two appears. Here is number two. And all his characters, nope, nope. Nope. And all these sons come and all these sons go. And Samuel is like, these are not the guys. Do you have any more kids? Like, is this it? Is this all we have to pick from? Because God has not yet told me that I found the one. And so Jesse says, well, yeah, I've got one more son, but he's just a shepherd. He's out in the field. He is the runt of the litter. He is nothing special. And Samuel's like, well, bring him in. And as soon as David walks into the room, God speaks to Samuel, that's the guy. That's the guy. He's the one. Do you know, I love that David's journey begins in obscurity. He wasn't the one that was front and center. He wasn't the one that was getting all of the the attention. He wasn't the one that was the oldest or the tallest or the strongest. He was just David. David. He was just who he was, and he was happy and content in his purpose. Even his dad didn't see his potential, but God saw it. God saw something on his life and said, he is the one. He is the one to be the next king of Israel. You know, as I said a couple of weeks ago, God sees our potential. In each and every one of you, God sees your potential. He saw it before you were even born. He sees your potential. And so as we move on through the story, the next scene is that we see David arriving on the scene of a battle. So he wasn't at the battle. He wasn't seen as a soldier. He was just at home looking after the sheep. But his brothers, his bigger, older, better, stronger brothers, were out there on the front lines getting ready to fight this giant known as Goliath. (coughs) And so David rocks up on the scene and everyone is scared. They're all cowering at the sight of this mammoth of a man who is threatening to kill the nation. And so David sees this scene and he looks at what's going on and something burns within his spirit that says, How dare can this man come against our God? This is just a man. And so he actually says when he's, so first and foremost, he he gets this burden and this passion that says that we can defeat Goliath. And so word gets to the king and he he drags him in and and Saul says to, to David, okay, so you want to fight this guy. Well, no one else is willing to, so we'll send you off. And he puts on Saul's armor, this big, bulky, heavy, overladen armor. And David's like weighed down because he's just the runt of the litter, remember? And he's like, I can't even walk in this stuff, let alone fight a man. And so he takes off all the armor and he says, No, I am David. God created me with a purpose. And that purpose is this. I don't need to pretend to be someone else. I don't need to wear the garments that someone else wears in order to defeat this giant. He created me as me and so I'm going to go out and face this man as me. And so he goes and he stands face to face with the mammoth that is Goliath and he gets laughed at. How dare you come and face me? He looks at this small stature of the man that is David and just thinks, this is the the gladiator that you have sent to take on me? I have been training for this day since I was born. But David says, look at this. He says, you have got a sword and a spear, but I have God. I have God. And then he goes on, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head and then I'm coming after the rest of the army. He has zero fear. All of the rest of the soldiers are cowering back at camp. But this young man, this shepherd boy, the runt of the litter, is standing face to face with a giant, no fear, because I have God on my side. From being anointed as the next king to defeating Goliath, throughout David's life, we just see these epic moments where he just stands in the boldness and the confidence of God. And so you may be fooled into thinking that life is all rosy for David, but that is not true and all you need to do is glance at the Psalms and you will see that there is a whole other side to this man. And Ruth highlighted some of that last week, didn't she? But he's an emotional guy. I think that might be why I like him. I find him very relatable. That he is a very emotional guy. He has these good days and he has bad days. He has ups and downs just like the rest of us. But what I also love is that the Bible doesn't skip over these moments It doesn't give us a false sense of security that David was this pristine, perfect man with a purpose and a plan that he walked out in God. But actually it also highlights his flaws and his failures. We see him struggling. We see him making stupid mistakes. We see him crying out to God in pain and confusion. There is no hiding David's humanity as you read his story in the Bible. He had an affair which led to murder. He was not a perfect man. And yet he had the boldness and the courage and the faith to declare that he had God with him. So why am I telling you all of this background story about David? What has this got to do with a culture of generosity? Well, what I just want to show is that he's just an ordinary guy. Yes, he was anointed to be king. Yes, God had a plan and a purpose for his life. But he was just a normal guy. He wasn't anything particularly special. He didn't really stand out from the crowd. He made a whole bunch of mistakes just like we do. But he had a passion for the Lord and he had a passion for God's house. In Psalm 69, David sings, Passion for your house consumes me. David was so passionate about God's house that he had this burden on him to build a temple of worship to his God. Only then the catch came that he wouldn't actually get to see this temple. So God had placed within him this burden to build a temple of worship. But then he said, but I'm not going to let you see it. Because you've made some mistakes. There has been too much bloodshed. And so you won't get to see this temple that you so long for, that you so desire. Instead, that will be your son, Solomon. Solomon. But he still had passion for God's house. He still had a burden to build this house. He didn't throw out his toys. He didn't give up and say, well, that's not fair. I'm going home. He still had a passion to build God's house. I don't know about you, but I have got a passion to build God's house. I love church. In God's house is where I found some of my best friends It's where I found my amazing wife. It's where I found forgiveness and purpose and calling. I believe that this passage shows us that David discovered something incredible about generosity. And so I'm just going to, with the time I've got left, just pull out four points uh, from David's journey to help us with this, this idea, this value of a culture of generosity. And the first point is this. We need to activate generosity. We need to activate generosity. Because a culture of generosity, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of us. It doesn't just happen on its own. It's a spirit. It's an attitude that we need to develop. It's something that we need to activate within our lives. Do you know if I'm honest Talking about finances and giving from the platform is really uncomfortable. And I know that when I start to talk about giving, that some of you start to squirm a little bit in your seats and you start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Well, we're in this together because it doesn't feel good for me either. But, you know, the truth is that we believe that generosity is part of our DNA as a local church and as individuals. But beyond that, it's biblical. We didn't just come up with this because we thought it might be nice and you could help fund a bunch of stuff. It's in the Bible. Money is not a subject that Jesus shied away from. It didn't make him squirm in his seat. In fact, if you just let me throw out some stats. The subject of salvation is referred to in the Bible 220 times. The subject of faith is referred to in the Bible 450 times. But the subject of finances is referred to in the Bible 2,300 times. Money matters. Money value is valuable to God and it's important. And you know, I think as a society, specifically here in the Western world, we can rely on money, can't we? But the Bible teaches us not to rely on money, but to rely on God. God calls us to rely on him, to surrender our lives to him. And so we sing songs about surrender and we preach about surrender. And so when we hear God say, will you surrender your life? You say, yes, God, take it. Will you surrender to me your career and your plans and your future? Yes, God, I will surrender it all. Will you lay down your family and your children before me? Yes, you can have them. But then God says, will you lay down your finances for me? Wait, what? (laughs) My finances? My money? Well, sometimes we get a little bit stuck there. And I think the reason why finances is spoken about so much in the Bible is that Jesus knew. He knew that money could so easily become our God. That we can so easily default to relying on our own income instead of relying on God. Now, I'll lay this out from the beginning. Money is not evil. There is no problem with money. In fact, I pray that each and every one of you will prosper and hear the story of tithing. Yeah? But money isn't evil. Only the love of money. Only putting money above God. In 1 Chronicles 29, it says, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. It comes from your hand. It belongs to you. And so that's the the attitude that we need to get to when it comes to not just our lives, not just our future, not just our families and our hopes and our dreams, but also our finances, that actually everything that we have comes from God. And so when we give of our finances, we are just giving back to God what he has already given to us. It's his anyway. So we need to be intentional about activating generosity in our lives, about putting it into practice, about finding opportunities and ways in which we can be generous. And the second point is this. Generosity is worship, but worship is more than words. Generosity is worship, but worship is more than words. You know, when we talk about worship, it's so easy to think about the songs that we sing, but worship is so much more than just singing some songs on a Sunday. In essence, worship is your heart. Worship is your heart. Paul says, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Everything that we put our hand to. If we do it for God, it is worship. It is worship. So when you serve in church in some capacity, you're worshipping him. When you do something kind for your neighbour, you're worshipping him. It's about heart. Jesus said this though, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so if you want to know where your heart is, You've got to look at your bank statements. These are Jesus words, not mine. <laughs> you want to know where your heart is. You've got to look at your bank statement. What do we invest in? Where is our money going? And I think for a lot of us, myself included, that can be a real, a real challenging task for us to do. Okay, yes, we've got bills to pay, and we've got to put a roof over our heads, and we've got to feed ourselves, but then what? What are we doing with the rest of our finances? I'm just going to leave that with you. You can, you can do that investigation on your own and just see what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you about that area of your lives. But God is after our heart, not our money. It just so happens that the two are connected. And so generosity is part of our culture. It's part of our DNA and so we want to get to a place where we no longer need to be intentional about being generous, but actually it begins to flow naturally. It just becomes something that we do out of habit. It's something that just flows from us without even thinking. Oh, you missed out on cake before at the end of the service. Have mine. That's a small act of generosity, isn't it? We could do that. Oh, you need something. Let me help you. Oh, you, you, you're struggling at the minute because you're poorly. Let me make you a meal. Oh, your car is broken. Well, let me give you a lift. Even better, let me buy you a new car. Why do we always default to the lowest grade of generosity? Oh, yeah, I could give you a lift. Now, buy them a new car if you're able. How cool would that be? Generosity isn't about money. Some of you are going to buy someone a car. I can believe it. Someone in this room is going to buy someone a car. I think that's amazing. Generosity isn't about money. It's about surrendering yourself. And it all comes back full circle to this vision of loving God and loving people. Because if we are loving God first, and then we are loving other people above ourselves generosity will just flow out of us it will just pour out of us and so as a church we've been asking you know can you find some time to volunteer in some way can you serve this house in one capacity or another and that is an act of generosity can you serve your community can you help your neighbor that is an act of generosity and yes Can you invest your finances? Because that is an act of generosity. Let's just jump back to that that verse in 1 Chronicles 29. It says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you are pleased with integrity. And all these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. (coughs) generosity is an act of worship it's an act of worship but worship goes beyond words it's about our heart it's about our heart and so what is our heart when it comes to generosity and I know I'm leaning more towards the finances but generosity is about time and talent as much as it is about treasure We can be generous in a whole bunch of ways. But the real thing, the real question is, how is your heart when it comes to being generous? So we've got to activate generosity. Uh, Generosity is worship, which is more than words. And the third principle is this, to reap in the future, you need to sow into the present. To reap in the future, you need to sow into the present. And so David, he had a passion to build God's temple. He had a desire to build a place of worship for God's people. But as it came to light that he wasn't going to see the fulfillment of this vision and this desire and this burden in his heart, did he say, well, if I'm not going to see it, then no one's going to see it. Did he throw out his toys and just have a paddy and give it all up? Not at all. Because he had such an outrageous passion for God's house that he gave everything that he could to make it happen, even knowing he would never see it. Even knowing that he wouldn't see this temple, he still gave everything that he had to see it come to fruition. David understood this principle that if you want to reap in the future, you need to sow into the present. And so we as a church, we're believing that at some point, God is going to bless us with a new building, something that is bigger, something that is better, something that is more fit for purpose. I've said it before, but I hate that we throw our kids in a porter cabin in the car park. It is just not fair that they get the kind of relegation zone and we get to sit in here. You know, God is going to bless us at some point with a bigger and better building. And we believe that with all our hearts. But that's the future. But if we want to reap in the future, we need to sow into the present. And so as a leadership and a board, a couple of years ago, we invested £10,000 into another local church who were going through a building project. Because we recognize the value in this principle that if you want to reap in the future, you need to sow into the present, even if that isn't our building. Yes, we'll get to see it come to fruition, but it's not going to like, fully benefit us. It's going to benefit them. But we wanted to bless them knowing that God is going to bless us in the future. And so there is a principle here that actually when we give, when we live out a culture of generosity, it's not a quid pro quo uh, interaction. This is not a, okay, I will do this if you do that yes the bible says that if we sow into the present we will reap in the future but that is not why we give that is not why we are generous we cannot have strings attached to our generosity let's jump back to the last uh, the last point it's about our heart when you're being generous what is going on in here Are you thinking, okay, I will give to this person, I will serve in this way because I know it will benefit me in this way, that way, and the other way? Well, then your heart isn't right, and you may as well not have bothered in the first place. We've got to be generous from a place of selflessness. But we've got to sow in order to reap. And so maybe just be asking yourselves, where in my life do I want to to reap in the future? Maybe you want to reap in your home life or in your family in the future. And so you need to sow in the present. How can you do that? If you want to see this church grow and flourish in the future, you've got to be asking yourself, how can I sow into it in the present? If you want your business to flourish in the future, how can you sow into it in the present? If you want your relationship with God to grow in the future How can you be sowing into it in the here and now? We've got to give and sow and be generous with our very best. No strings attached. No quid pro quo. No only if. Don't give expecting a thank you. Don't sow or serve looking for credit. Because as we already said at the beginning of this message, we are only able to be generous Because God was first generous to us. Everything that we have to give came from God. Everything that we have to give came from God. And hear this. God is in the business of growth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. Paul writes, I planted the church. Apollos came and cared for it. But it was God who caused it to grow. One person plants. Another person waters but God causes it to grow. It's him that causes the growth. David recognized this principle. He recognized that God had blessed him so much that he was then able to give of everything that he had because his wealth wasn't for him. It was just seed in his hand to sow into God's kingdom. So we need to activate generosity. Generosity is worship, and worship is more than words. If you're going to reap in the future, you've got to sow into the present. And then finally, to be blessed means to be a blessing. (coughs) To be blessed means to be a blessing. I heard a story this week about a lady who goes to church And she wanted to give into the church. She felt a burden and a a call from God to give into the church. And so she looked at her bank statement and she saw that there she had five pounds and 25 pence. And that was it. But she felt God saying, I got to give into the church. And so she wrote a check for five pounds. But then when it came to giving it into the offering, she just felt, I just It's going to leave me with nothing. And so instead she ripped up that cheque and she wrote a cheque for one pound and she felt shame that all she was willing to give was one pound, but she gave it anyway. She gave it anyway. And then the story that I heard, and whether it's true or not doesn't even matter, is that the following week she received a blessing of one thousand pounds. A cheque in the mail for one thousand pounds. Who would like to receive a blessing like that? Who would like that to be me, that where I sow in one pound, I reap 1,000 pounds? Maybe if she'd have sowed five pounds, she'd have got 5,000 pounds. Who wants that blessing to be me? I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us, who are thinking, yes, please, God, are thinking about the blessing of receiving the 1,000 pounds. But what about the massive blessing that came from the person who gave the thousand pounds? Because there is blessing that comes from giving. There is a blessing that comes from generosity. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so yes, that lady would have been so blessed to have received this money when she was without But the person who gave that money would also have received a blessing from God. There is joy that comes when we give. There is joy that comes when we give. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now I want you to know dear brothers and sisters what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. In fact, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They begged to give. They begged for the privilege of being able to give not just what they could afford, but above and beyond that they wanted to stretch themselves in order to give into blessing God's kingdom. And this is us. We are a generous church. We are a generous church. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe even this week, go out of your way to bless someone. Just put that to the test. Is it really blessed to give as well as receive? Just go and bless someone. If you can bless someone without them knowing, even better. Because then you're not getting the credit. You're not getting the glory. You're not getting the praise. Go out of your way. Bless someone. Outrageously bless someone. Buy someone a car. I don't need a car. I've got two. Buy someone else a car. Be generous. Be recklessly generous. Be abundantly generous. So let's just close this as we line it up with Jesus. We've got to line everything that we talk about with Jesus. And God set a culture of generosity. He set this culture of generosity when he sent his one and only son to die for us so that we can have relationship with him. John 3.16, we know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave everything that he had. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He willingly laid down his life in this reckless an outrageous act of generosity for you and for me. Jesus set the culture. Jesus cast the vision. And so we need to catch hold of that. We need to become generous. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for you and me. Let's be generous. Let's be generous. So this is us. That's the journey that we've been taking you on, that we are called to love God and love people, that we are called to pursue God, that we're called to chase after our heavenly father, to cultivate our own personal relationship with him so that we can get a greater understanding of his heart, of his nature, of his character. We are called to help you find your God-given purpose so that you can step into and walk in everything that God has got planned for your life. We're called to bring hope to our community in whatever way we can. We are called to restore the brokenhearted, and that is so needed in the world, in our town. There are hurting and broken people (coughs) that need to find restoration that can only come through a relationship with God. And we're called to live out a culture of generosity through the way in which we live, through the way in which we love, to go above and beyond, to put others above ourselves, not to think about me, myself and I, but to think about how can I support and bless and go after other people. Let's pray. (laughs) Yes, so Father God, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for Hope Church Lytham. For the people that you have called us to be, for the calling that you have placed on us, as a church, to be a church that is needed in our community. God, I thank you for the vision and the values that you have placed over us that help us to fulfill out what you're calling us to be. But we can't do any of it without you. These are just words without you. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you in once again. Would you fill this place would you fill your people? Would you stir something within us once again that will catch hold of this vision? That will have a burden to live out these values in our lives. And God, I pray specifically around this, this, this value of creating a culture of generosity. That God, would you maybe speak to each and every one of us and show us areas in our lives where we could be more generous where we can just do a little bit more. Where we could just go a little bit further. And in the same way that that Jesus looked at the, the people giving in the temple and they saw people giving many, but then he saw the lady give in just a small amount. It's got nothing to do with how much we give, but it's got everything to do with the way in which we give. And so God, I pray that you would place within us a heart of generosity, a heart that recognizes that everything that we have comes from you. And so we should be willing to lay it all down and give it to you, give it back to you. Would you remind us of that principle that is, it's greater to give than to receive? And so show us opportunities where we can do that where we can give of ourselves, our time, our talents, our treasures, whatever it may be, give us opportunity to go above and beyond, to be reckless and outrageous and extravagant in the way that we are generous. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.